don't worry, we will be talking about Ahoy Senor in a minute as well. But first of all, uh, the Newbury Circus, Jonathan Harding, what's that? Yes, yeah, so uh, Newbury has announced a winter wonderland, if you're familiar, style carnival in the middle mm. of its track um, for its big fixtures heading into Christmas and slightly beyond. It has, after the opening meeting, led to a little bit of consternation by some who have suggested that their view of the back straight was perhaps slightly impeded by this structure. Um, there also wasn't a big screen at that meeting for other reasons. That was sort of due to waterlogging and ground, so we'll give the benefit of the doubt there. Newbury, it's important to state, are looking into this, of course, and getting more screens and everything else. But it's a broader question, I think, about race courses and we've all sort of kept tabs on the attendances this year. They have been very worrying. Uh, there is a cost of living crisis mm -hmm. going on despite the big figures at the sales, which we'll get on to. And racecourses will have felt the pinch, and this is an attempt to diversify their revenue stream. Whether it's the right one is, of course, very much open to debate. Um, consumer needs to come first, though, Lucinda, right? You know, if you, if you go racing, you need to have a clear view of the races. Yes, you do, but then you also have to encourage people to go racing mm. per se, and um, you know the race courses have to make their money. It's it's important, but uh, I think, and we'll get on to it in a in a minute. But there are other things that are important about about race courses, such as ground conditions. But we'll get on to that in a minute. Okay, we'll get on to that in a minute. Um, let's move on and talk about ground conditions then. Um, you now are experiencing. Or all trainers are experiencing and all of us are experiencing extraordinary climate conditions whereby one minute we've got Sandown abandoning because they're waterlogged and yesterday at Cheltenham they're wondering how much water to put on. Very challenging indeed. It is challenging but I think we're, we're lucky. I spent last night with, um, uh, with Anthea Lee who's in charge of mm -hmm. York and she'd just been down at the RCA Awards and it was great and Cartmel won the overall ground conditions. It's not just now about putting on a little bit of water here and there. They the race courses know the filtration rates, they know everything about their ground, the agronomists have been in there. And I think that's the most important thing, you know. I talk about, in my world, the most important thing is the horse, and they have to stay safe, they have to go on the right ground. And there's no excuse now not to get the ground right. Because there, there's so much more information available to clerks of the course. Absolutely. It's, as, as I say, it's a bit like uh, how training's developed, that um, there's so much more technology that we can use, so much more information people understand about the different ground types and I think that they should be investing more and more money in that. So the question is, what is the right ground? So say Cheltenham yesterday for example, horses coming out from top trainers, Alan King today with Edward Stone, Nicky Henderson yesterday with a couple of important runners, what's the right ground to have there? Good ground's fine but it has to be good all the way through and I think what we've seen from the climate change is that the um, underneath it the ground's quite quick underneath it the, the soil structure is is firm and so you know you, you you risk the fact that a horse will let itself down because it thinks that it's softer ground but underneath there's still concussion in it so um, really important for these racetracks to sort that out and when you walk the tracks can you can you determine that or not uh, we do it two ways so skew will walk it put his heel into the ground in a very old-fashioned way and you get a feeling when you walk on it but the most important thing is once the horses have been around it we spend a lot of time saying to Derek, tell us after you've ridden in the first. Yeah, so so you can't really determine. That's right, we can't. Okay. Uh, let's talk about the uh, the Trainers' Championship. Um, we talked to Charlie Appleby about the Flat Trainers' Championship. Jonathan, the Jumps Trainers' Championship. Paul Nichols, has he got it wrapped up already? 
No, I wouldn't say he's got it wrapped up already because there's a lot of big races to come and, and Nicky Henderson hasn't sort of sent out too many of his big ones because of the ground and I think sort of trainers are perhaps a little bit behind schedule because of the ground so it, it's almost a sort of carryover from that but he's certainly <laughs> made a statement hasn't he? I mm. mean Fergal O'Brien did fantastically and, and was really prolific at the beginning of the season but Nichols has just mm. hit a completely but different level. I mean he? this is more a point about Nichols than it is about you know people say oh god it's, it's November stop talking about the trainers championship it's so boring but it's more a, que it's, it's more a point about Nichols and the way that he's come out of the traps this year. Yeah, he has. He's, he's got some fantastic horses that have been winning good prize money and his, his team is right back up to the quality again. Mm. And, and his own, we, we, we've talked a lot about determination and ambition and intent. There is nobody like him really in that regard. Yeah, you know, we bumped into him yesterday and we were talking about Hoyce and Europe but, and he said, oh, so you'll be going to Aintree and then the Cotswold Chase and then the Gold Cup. So he knows. He knows the way to... He's planning your campaign as well. He's planning my well campaign. As. But that's because he's had the horses at that level and he knows it. It's, it's easy to train when, you've, when you know the, the path to take with the horses. He's just he's phenomenal at it. What do you think makes him good? Um, the standard of horse that he gets in his yard. That's what makes any trainer good. And, uh, but but to, in order to get that, you need to have a certain... You know, it's easy to say anyway, anyone could be given a load of nice horses to train theoretically, but it's acquiring them and acquiring the owners. Oh yeah, I mean again, he's he's a genius at training them. He knows how to produce them uh, uh, in the right condition on the right day, and that's that's how you end up winning the big races. I think as well the way he campaigns horses is to be commended because he's not afraid of running good horses in handicaps, as you've seen with Froden and Grenatine. And I think as well with Nichols' success, a lot's been made of his strike rate and everything else, but. I think Harry Cobden as well has been riding out of his skin so far this season. He's been exceptional. Yeah, about a 50% stroke rate in the last couple of weeks. Uh, Nichols has got spending power, but I don't even think he could persuade an owner to part with $4.6 million for 2.5% of a horse, which is what uh, happened with Flightline last week. Although we don't actually know who's bought, it, bought the 2.5% share. Crazy money or about right? I mean, it, it's so difficult, isn't it? Because value is determined by what somebody is willing to pay for it. And Flightline was clearly incredibly impressive, albeit in six starts. We saw him in the Breeders' Cup Classic sort of win as he wanted to. You're basically paying for the novelty of being able to buy into a horse of that quality, really. I mean, it's only because 2.5% has come up that people are willing to spe spend over the... Because the horse isn't worth north well, of $180 million. Well, is, is he not, though, you see? Because they've now set the stud fee at $200,000. Yeah. Which, if he takes 200 mares, you get that back in four and a half years. Well, this is it. I mean, I was sort of trying to crunch the numbers before we knew the stud fee and got rather lost in various calculations. But I think if he was to cover 200 mares, it would be mm. 150 to 250 mares, which would be right up the top end would justify, would be looking at 30 to $50 million. Mm. He's a better horse than justify. Yeah, I believe so. But it's the triple crown factor as well, whether that slightly hinders his appeal. I would suggest not, given the nature of, of he won that race. I'd have loved to have seen him stay in training because we didn't see as much of him mm. as we'd have liked. But that's slightly, it doesn't make sense financially. A, a, lot, a lot of jumps trainers will not watch that much flat racing. A lot of flat trainers won't, won't watch that much jumps racing. Do you take an interest in all racing, all the horses, all times? Um, yes. I mean, I think those, the big races, I thought you did a very good job of presenting the 
uh, the Breeders' Cup, and I think it's it's exciting as long as there's a narrative towards it and a and a story about it. And I got pulled into the flight line story as well. I thought it was a tremendous performance, and it's it's a great, it's a big gamble. Who is mm. buying two point five percent at that thing? It's a good gamble. Maybe it'll come off. And a horse to be able to run that fast for that long, you just don't see it that often. Um, let's talk about stud fees in general. It's I've never known anything like it, Jonathan. Um, the the, the, the Flurry this week, whether it was flight line prompted or not, I don't know. But we had Frankel in at two seventy-five this week, Dubawi at three fifty, see the stars up to one eighty, Baida eighty, which I thought was kind of conservative in the mm. in the grand scheme of things. I mean, we're in a cost of living crisis, but um, Bloodstock is in a parallel universe, it seems. Well, it was great. It was like sort of transfer deadline day with the football, where all these stud fees were being announced. It was almost we're live at Dalham Stud to get the latest stud fee here. It was. It is the sales ring's always been slightly detached from the real world, quote unquote. Uh, there is a cost of living crisis going on. You wouldn't believe it, given flight line two and a half percent selling in the states, and given three hundred and fifty thousand pounds stud fee. I think it is a positive sign in the sense that there clearly is a demand for British and Irish bloodstock still. Uh, the proof will be in how many of those horses then are retained in Britain, continue to run in Britain, and end their careers in Britain. But we still have the bloodstock, which is vitally important. You breed a few horses, don't you? Um, only Your for one. fun. I think it's a very quick way at my level to, to lose money. But um, I mean, the thing is, it's, it's like markets. And I, I always believe that there's always going to be a flight to quality. And you'd rather invest a lot of money in a good, good sire than, mm -hmm. than I think the middle market's gone. I think it's, um, as you say, cost of living crisis. That's what happens. You get uh, everyone wants to go for quality. And would you would you train more more flat horses if if that came along oh yeah i mean we've had a great season this year with yeah. um the interest and the excitement and the, it's funny it's almost like going back to training again to starting off again uh really enjoyed the flat season um yeah we want to do we've got a very nice two-year-old that should come through as a three-year-old so would you rather train like a little boutique selection of good flat horses than train a load of summer jumpers for example yeah absolutely yeah and uh, unfortunately that's where it's going i Started off training summer jumpers, but uh, I think now the flat's flat's good fun. Remind me of the name of the two-year-old. I can't tell you. What? It's <laughs> I'd have to kill you. No, it's called Eastban. Do you know? I, the weird thing is, I actually believe you. Um, Eastban. 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 East Vancouver. Eastban. Oh, Eastban. Yeah. Okay. And she's good, just she turning three now. Yeah, just turning three now. Okay. Okay. One to one to note for next year. I didn't expect a flat horse to follow. Uh, Alaho's out. Jonathan. Yeah. You can take 10 seconds on this if you like. Bad news takes away from the King George, obviously, having a dual Ryanair winner come out. He was the favourite. Um, that now means Brave Man's Game is favourite, and probably quite rightly. Um, do you rate Envoy Allen a danger? I do. Um, he obviously took the step up in trip in his stride last time, and he's another one of those. He's talking about Native Trail, one of those sort of horses who had such a huge reputation and sort of maybe didn't fully live up to it obviously didn't go right at the festival but I think he's you know he's a, he is a serious danger and we haven't even talked about some of the sort of previous winners that might be in there as well with Tornado Flyer and the like so who? The interesting oh he race. won the race last year didn't yeah, he? Yeah that's the one. Yeah. Completely forgotten about him. Uh, right let's move on and talk about Omni Horse. You can tell me about Omni Horse. I can certainly try so my colleague Pete Scargill did a special report in the newspaper about this um, and got really deep into what is a very complicated concept. So this is Kia Jorbashan of Ammo Racing, mm -hmm. his 
sort of new project is the idea that uh, he's encouraging people to buy into is that sort of a racing club you're mm -hmm. almost buying you're being, becoming part of a racing club by buying an nft What's a non-fungible token or non-fungible non-fungible token i still I not entirely sure what does the word fungible mean i'm still not entirely sure how do you spell that f-u-n-g-i-b-l-e have you ever heard of the word fungible no it must be something to do with tangible so it's non non-fungible non it's, it's, it's a digital asset that can't be recreated Obviously. essentially make it, therefore making it unique therefore making it of a value and the value of said nfts is relative to the value of the horse that you're buying into it also includes a subscription so it the details are a little bit vague and very complicated but there is an there is an aim in the future for on the horse to be sort of relevant and present in the metaverse which is another <laughs> great word that didn't exist a few years ago and that will involve sort of a stable where you can kind of meet and talk to your fellow NFT owners and follow the horse. It's an attempt to get people interested in racing in a, in a sense, in a financial sense, so they're investing, but it's not in the traditional sense of investing in flesh and blood. Nope. Absolutely no idea. It might be the future. It could be. Or it might not be. It's sort of, these NFTs are bought using cryptocurrency, which is in itself wonderfully volatile so it's there's a there's a few things that would need to be i'm interested to see it in practice let's say that this is why i've not made any money i've got you, absolutely no clue it it goes so far away from the actual horse how can you go into your stable and see your omni horse well we we might find out on this program in the uh, not too distant future right alpinist has been retired which is a great shame she was going to go to the japan cup and there was a huge huge bonus uh, for winning, but my oh my, shouldn't we just celebrate what she's done? Absolutely, absolutely. I think I've never, in recent memory, never seen an outpouring of sort of goodwill towards a trainer like Sir Mark Prescott when he won his first arc. Not since Lucinda Russell won the Grand National. Well, quite, yeah, not <laughs> since then. I'm fantastic. She was so tough in the arc. She's been campaigned inventively, let's say, with going and winning in Germany, but then to come over and win on British soil was a really special day and then she just went another level again to win the arc and it's of course it's hugely disappointing she's not running in the Japan Cup but as Sir Mark Prescott said it would be nice for Kirsten Rousing to look out over her garden hedge and see a horse of that calibre in the field. Yeah it certainly will. Um, did you enjoy enjoy Alpinista? Absolutely loved it and I think this is <coughs> you know making the personalities out of the horse and obviously the trainer as well I mean it was just a, it was a great story. It's something that kept us going through the summer. It's fantastic. Okay, those were this week's talking points.